Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. And when I get to heaven, there's a reward waiting for me. There's no way I can lose. I just have to be faithful to share Christ. I just need to be ready to sow the seed. Either way, I'm blessed in the here and now and the then and there in heaven. Continuing on in verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. This was unusual. Jesus was always on the move, but he goes, you know what? These people are so hungry. They have so many questions. There's people that need to be healed here. Yeah, I'll stay a couple of days. And many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I bet you this just blew the minds of the disciples. Wow. We didn't see that coming. Notice the contrast here. The Jewish religious leaders, men who were seminary trained and knowledgeable in the Scriptures, They rejected the Messiah and criticized him openly. In just a a few chapters here, we're going to see that they start looking to kill him. Well, these no good and rejected Samaritans, these dogs as they called them, who had little truth, received the good news and invited the Savior to stay in their village longer. What a great picture of how and why we share our faith no matter what the person looks like, no matter if they look like they're total living out rebellion in their life, that's a good time to share Christ. Verse 43, now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus was officially uh, Judean, he, uh, obviously from Bethlehem, is where his birth took place, to be exact. But the people there, their hearts were not genuinely turned to him. They wanted to follow him because they wanted to see the circus. What will he do tomorrow? What, what, what miracle will he do? That's what they wanted. They didn't want him, and he knew it. They knew that their belief did not honor him, and so he left. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came down to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. You remember a few weeks ago, we saw him go to the wedding, and he turned water into wine when they ran out. He's back in town again. We're not told why he goes back to Cana. Uh, I believe it was Thomas that was from there. Maybe, maybe he honored Thomas's request to, to see his family. I think this. I think he sowed some seed while he was there, and he wanted to go back and talk with some individuals there in that town that he had talked to when, it, when, it was, uh, when he was at the wedding. And there was a certain nobleman. Uh, nobleman in the Greek is a word for government official. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, if you remember, Capernaum, now Cana is up in the hill country of central Israel. 
And it's a 20-mile walk, a hike, down to Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. It's a tough hike. It's a tough walk. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, this nobleman went up to him, and he implored him, he implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Notice that Jesus' first miracle was at the request of his mother, who had asked him to help. And she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. A mother requested that. Here, though, we see a request by a, a distraught father. The passionate love of this dad for his son is obvious. You can't miss it. The word for implore in the Greek means to ask for something repeatedly over and over. And you're not going to take no for an answer. This nobleman wasn't leaving until Jesus came with him. He's imploring him to come with him. Verse 48, then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, Jesus isn't condemning this man. He's merely lamenting that these people need to see him perform miracles in order to believe. Later on, after the resurrection, Thomas would doubt Jesus, that he, had, he was raised from the dead. He would doubt. And he would say, unless I, see the, unless I see the palms of his hands, unless I see the wound in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus comes to him shows him the wounds, and Thomas falls at his feet and just cries. But then notice what Jesus says immediately after this to, about Thomas and about you and I sitting in this room. He said, blessed are those who will believe and have not seen me, that have the faith, that have read the word, that have opened their eyes and had the Holy Spirit call, and they answered, yes, I believe. Still, this father's faith is growing beyond most in Israel. Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the heartbreak of this father as he pleads for his son's life? He's reached the end of his rope. He's at the bottom of his pit. This is the worst imagination uh, thing in his imagination he could ever dream. My child lies on a bed and he will die if you don't come with me. This is a good place in one's life to meet the Savior. When you can't do any more in your life, when you've tried to, to fix whatever it is that your life challenge is right now, that might be keeping you from the Lord. This is a good time to run to him because Jesus is the answer to our problems. He's about to have his faith both broadened and deepened here. But first, he must get over two fallacies. First, he believes that Jesus must be present in order to heal his son. Lord, come with me now. He believes that Jesus needs to be... See, he either saw Jesus heal people in Jerusalem or he heard about this. And what he probably saw or kept hearing was that Jesus is putting his hands on people and they're being healed. So you can't blame him for his plea to come with me. But Jesus is going to show him 
I'm not, I'm not confined by space. I can, I can do miracles from wherever I wish. And we're about to see this. Second, he believes that if the boy dies, Jesus can't help any further. you got to come with me now before he dies. But of course, both are wrong thinking. We'll see later on that Jesus raises a child from the dead. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. I underlined, believed and went in my Bible, because that's a picture of faith. The father has approximately a 10-hour walk to get home. That's if he doesn't stop for anything, and he keeps going very quickly down this mountainside. If he left immediately at 1 p.m., and we're told that this is when this took place, at the seventh hour of the day, Jews began their keeping of time at 6 a.m., so at the seventh hour would be 1 p.m. If he left immediately at, say, 1.15, because he's... He has to have this conversation with Jesus. And it gets dark around 7 p.m. when it's near the harvest that we know that this is the harvest time. He still has another four hours in the morning before he arrives home. You see, people didn't travel during the dark back then. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have uh, what we have today. So when it began to get dark, they knew they had to go set camp up somewhere. And they needed to, to just ride the night out, sleep through the night. And then the next morning, they'd break camp, and he would go on down the hillside. He had another four hours the next morning before he would reach home. But you see this father engaging his faith in Jesus' word. For one to believe, it requires at least two things. One's faith that what God has said is true and it requires action upon that faith. We see both here. He heard Jesus, and he believed in him, and he engaged his faith by heading for home. See, he was saying, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. And when Jesus says, go, your son lives. He had to believe her. He would have kept in point, and well, okay, that's fine, but you come with me. No, he turns, and he walks away. He believed that his son would be healed. The faith of both the Samaritan woman and, and this father must have brought great joy and honor to Jesus. He didn't have honor in his own town, but in this place, he gets honor from two Gentiles. His father is headed down to his home in Capernaum while his servants are racing up to Cana to share the good news of the son's healing. Stop for a moment and imagine the father's response somewhere on the mountainside between Cana and Capernaum. They meet. He's walking down the, this hill quickly when he hears shouting from a couple of men below. They're waving their arms frantically. He recognizes his servants, again, just as in the miracle of, of turning the water into wine. It's the servants who know what's going on before anyone else does. They literally do what Jesus says, go get water in the pots at the wedding, and he turns the water into wine. The servants know what just happened. They're the first to know. And here, they're again the first to know that the son has been healed. 
The fever has left them. And they're shouting loudly to the master. What is he thinking? What are they about to tell me? Why are they crying? Wait, they're crying and laughing tears of great joy. They've got good news on their lips. Verse 51, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Master, he's alive. He's alive. Your boy's alive, and he's well. His heart leaps with excitement. His eyes overflow with tears of joy and thanksgiving. But wait. He's got to know exactly when this happened. This is why Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The father wanted to confirm that it was at Jesus' command his boy was healed. He just had to confirm the details. Verse 52, then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, 1 p.m., Hebrew standard daylight savings time. (laughs) The fever left him at 1 p.m. Hmm. I can just imagine the father quickly doing the math in his head. 1 p.m.? Let's see. I had lunch at noon yesterday. Tomato, basil, and hummus with pita bread. Some handful of goat cheese. I like goat cheese. I threw that in there. Then I overheard where the miracle worker was staying. So after lunch, I went over to the home that he was staying at. I put it like 1245-ish. I found him, and I just started asking him over and over and over and over to come with me. Stop what you're doing. Come with me. My son is going to die. Jesus, please, can, can, you, just, can you stop preaching? I need you. Can you come with me right now? We got an emergency. This is 911. Can you, can you come with me right now? I asked him over and over and over and over. Finally, he turned to me, and he said something about seeing is believing, uh, something like that. And, and then he stopped, and he made a statement. He, he looked at me, and he said, your son lives. Hmm. That would make it one o'clock in the afternoon. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The turning of the water into wine was his first in Cana. Isn't that interesting? Faith is a funny thing. Faith isn't a defined thing that we can weigh, measure, package, place in a neat little box and put it on a shelf and pull it out when we need it. All faith is fluid. It's ever-changing in us, sometimes clearly evident and tangible in our lives, and at other times elusive as the steam coming off your hot cup of coffee. Hmm. This nobleman's belief began as a crisis of faith. It began as a crisis of faith. His son was dying. Then it transitioned into a confident faith. 
When Jesus said, go, he's well, he confidently left for home. His confident faith transformed into a confirmed faith when his servants told him the good news and told him at what hour this had happened, he was now, his faith was confirmed. And finally, it became a contagious faith, contagious faith, resulting in him sharing the gospel with everyone in his household and them believing too. I just picture what happened. I think when he found out that it was 1 p.m. when his son, the fever, left him, sat up on his bed, smiled, jumped off, and said, what's for, what's for lunch? I think he told this story, couldn't believe it, just absolutely ran home. I think, I think the servants had to, had to keep up. He couldn't wait to tell this story. Wait till my servants and the whole household, this is a, this is a government official, likely a Gentile, and he wants to tell everybody that Jesus saved his son. He wants to get the story out. He's got many servants, likely, and he probably owns a lot of land if he's a government official, but he's going to draw everybody into the courtyard that day. Listen to this. I got a story. You have a story, and people will listen to your story when they're hurting and when they need faith. You have it. You and I were the beggars. Somebody gave us a piece of bread, Jesus, the bread of life. Now we're to turn around with that piece and we're to hand it and break it off to other people and share it in their life when they need to hear why we have a hope and why we can smile when our loved one dies or when we lose our job or when something else happens, a relationship goes south. Why are you smiling, Harris? I got Jesus. I have someone to run to. I don't know why this is happening, but I know that he's going to use it for his good and his glory. It's a contagious faith this father has. When D. James Kennedy wrote the text for Evangelism Explosion, a wonderful evangelism tool that we're bringing to our church next weekend, uh, this coming Saturday, actually. You can sign up online. I would encourage everybody to do this. If you tell me, you know, the number one thing Christians fear is sharing their faith. Oh, I'm not good at that. Let the pastor do that. Listen, <laughs> that's not what God's word says. The pastor shall go sow the seed. When he said go, in the Greek, this is a word for everyone. Go make disciples. You're included. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're to go make disciples. And this is a wonderful, it's a wonderful tool. If you'll come Saturday, I think it's at 8 a.m., you can go online Sign up and bring your kids, bring your grandkids. Junior high, high schoolers need to hear this too. They need to know how to share their faith when they're at school or in the neighborhood playing. Uh, but Kennedy was careful to clarify what he meant and means by the invitation to believe in Jesus. He first describes what saving faith is not. He wrote, and I quote, the first thing people mistake for saving faith is this, an intellectual assent to certain historical facts. Some people believe in Jesus Christ the same way they believe in Napoleon or George Washington. They believe he actually lived, 
He was a real person in history, but they are not trusting him to do anything for them now. Kennedy calls this kind of faith mere intellectual assent, agreeing to some facts. Listen, Jesus didn't come to earth to die on a cross for our sins in order to make us righteous so that we could acknowledge that he lived and died. Kennedy continues, and I quote, saving faith is trusting in Christ to save you, to save you eternally, end of quote. While a saving faith begins with acknowledging Jesus lived, of course, it must continue on to where it steps out into the faith that includes your eternal salvation, trusting God as Savior and as your Redeemer and your, for your eternal existence. See, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus. Sure, yeah, he lived. I mean, you know, there's a lot of famous atheists now that are saying this. Yeah, I mean, clearly Jesus lived. There's too much writing about him for him not to have lived. We believe that Jesus lived. But what they're missing is it hasn't gone from their head to their heart. And until it does that, you're not saved. One of my greatest concerns is that on that great day, the judgment day, many will say, look, Jesus, I believed in you. Jesus is going to go, it was in your head. Satan believes in me. The demons believe in me, and they, they quake. But you never let it get to your heart. And it's the heart that Jesus wants. A real faith is unbuckling your life's parachute and throwing it away and then jumping out of the plane with Jesus, knowing that he's got you and that you can't fail. There's no way. It begins with changing your mind about who God is, who you are, and what Jesus did for you on your behalf on the cross. Listen, he bled and he died in your place. He took your punishment and my punishment that we deserved. We should have been nailed to the cross. We should have been executed for our sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son so that anyone that would believe in him wouldn't have to do that, that he would step in between you and death and say, I've got this. Put your faith in me. And you will live, not just now, but forever in eternity. Listen, we are all eternal souls. We will all experience, have a, an eternal experience beyond this life, every single one of us. The question is this, where will you spend eternal life? There's only two places. You know what they are. You've either met Jesus as your Savior, and he will welcome you into the heaven that he's created for you and is now working on, John 14 tells us. Or you will meet him as your judge and you don't want to meet him that way. Because for you to get past the judge, you will have had to live a perfect life, never once committing a single sin because even one sin prevents you and I from going to heaven. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he had to die. God requires judgment and righteousness. No righteous judge sweeps things under the carpet and just pretends it didn't happen. It had to be adjudicated. Jesus adjudicated your sin and my sin on the cross. And his father saw that and said, I accept that. I accept the penalty that Jesus paid. 
and he'll forgive your sin. And as, and as good as that is, as wonderful news as that is, it would be great if, if it ended there. If, if, if God said, you're forgiven, I forgive you. That would be awesome. But just like in the Ginsu commercials. But wait, there's more. Jesus came off of that cross. They put him in a grave. He was dead. His body was dead. And three days later, he conquered death. And he rose from the grave, conquering both sin and death, now offering you righteousness and eternal life with him in a place called heaven that he's made for you. And then he's packaged that up and set it before you. And today is the day of salvation, his word says. Not tomorrow. Who knows which of us has until tomorrow. Today's the day. Take that package. I often say it's too dangerous to leave this building without Jesus. It's too dangerous to walk back out of here because you and I don't know what is in our future. And if you leave this world without having accepted that free gift, then you have chosen to be judged. You don't want to do that. You want to meet Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.